My favourite conversations with people are when they share something about themselves that's real, honest and revealing. I think the objects we have in our lives have so much meaning when you stop and think about them. This show is about that. What if some of the world's funniest and most interesting people chose three of their most treasured objects and shared the stories behind them, stories you've never heard before? So that first spot was in 1989. Can you remember what was in the first five? <laughs> yes, some uh, it, really, honestly, old sex jokes. <laughs> Put it this way. The MC walked on stage after me and said... Uh, Adam Hills, everybody. Isn't it funny that the guys that talk about it the most do it the least? <laughs> and got a huge round of applause because the entire audience went, yeah, that's pretty much what we were thinking. <laughs> I'm Christian O'Connell, and this is The Stuff of Legends, today with Adam Hills. Hello, I'm Adam Hills. Adam, I did not know, is a former tennis coach. Who knew? He's hosted the beloved ABC show, Spicks and Specs, which is a kind of pre-Nevermind the Buscocks, host of the brilliant The Last Leg in the UK, making him loved across the Commonwealth, and undoubtedly one of, no, I would say probably the nicest man in the industry. Or in his words, professional fool. What a great way to describe it. So if we met in a pub, is that really what you'd say to me, your professional form? I, oh, look, I would say comedian, but if I was trying to explain to someone who didn't know what a comedian was, I would say I get paid to, to be a fool for the enjoyment of others. But more than anything, Adam loves his family, and that brings us to his first item. So my first object is uh, a toy, fluffy, red and green rabbit uh, that my dad brought into the hospital for me when I was three days old. Wow. Um and it was because he supported the South Sydney Rabbitohs rugby league team. Yeah. His dad supported the South Sydney Rabbitohs rugby league team and he was making sure his son was going to support the same team. Um, the, the joy of this little rabbit is that if you look at merchandise now from rugby league teams or from whatever else, it's really quite intricate. It'll yeah. have the jersey and it'll have the you know stitches sewn into it and it'll look like a real replica and the eyes will look real. This is not that. <laughs> this is a white rabbit head with a red body with arms that stick out and green legs, and that's it. It's the colours of South Sydney, but it's not the jersey. And I love that. Like, that's a 1970s yeah. toy. That's what merch was then, yeah. And it's exactly what merch was. It probably wasn't even merch. It no, wasn't it even official been. merch. Yeah. It would have been like at a local toy shop. And it might have even been a fluke that it was red and green. It might yeah. not have even been a South Sydney rabbit. I love the fact that so your dad um, was on the way to obviously see you, but he would have stopped off, gone out of his way, and all that excitement of being a new dad, but still thought this is really important. I get him this. I think so. A three-day-old potential fan. <laughs> this has got to be handled before anything else, before we give him a name or anything. Absolutely. Yeah, this stuff matters. Absolutely, and I've still got that rabbit. And That's um, great. And the reason I've selected that as an item is because it, it represents my, my family. Like I had a great family upbringing. My dad was a Qantas steward. Yeah. So he was away a lot, but it meant when he was home, he was properly home. Yeah. And it wasn't until... Remember, I was doing gigs in Newcastle in England, and whenever you do gig, or used to do gigs at the Hyena Comedy Club, yep, I know. instead of put you, putting you up in a hotel, they put you up in an apartment because one of the owners of the club had an apartment, and he was a comic, and he was always away. So you'd end up spending a weekend in an apartment with one or two other comics that you were on the bill with, and you got to know each other. Yeah, and I had a couple of weekends where I it was basically me and Frankie Boyle, wow, just living in this apartment together. Yeah. And I think the first time we were drinking and the second time we weren't. 
Yeah. But we would come home after gigs and we would sit up until six in the morning drinking cups of tea, talking about the universe, talking about Terence McKenna and existentialism and 2012 prophecies and all that kind of stuff. But I remember Frankie talking about something about his dad would come home from work at seven o'clock every night and then he'd see him for maybe an hour or before he went to bed. And that was the first time it occurred to me, oh, yeah, that's what most dads did. Right. They would go off to work in the morning and they yeah. would come home at 7 o'clock at night. And you'd say, whereas my dad would be gone for two weeks and then one day I'd come home from school at 3 in the afternoon and he'd be on the beanbag boasting about how he'd been awake for 27 hours because <laughs> yeah. he'd flown in from Bahrain or something. Um, and then he'd be home for a week and a half and we'd just have dad all the time at home. So I had this really weird childhood of him being away a lot and in the days when, like mum told me recently, he'd be gone for 21 days, he might phone once because it was so expensive. You know, you didn't have FaceTime, you didn't have that Isn't kind that of stuff. Cool? All that stuff that we think <clears throat> has been around just always, you can't imagine what that would be like w without it because we just take it for granted, all that stuff. You know? Oh, it was so exciting when the phone would ring and yeah, we'd find out. The landline. Yeah. You, know, you said, Dad, from the other side of the world, he's <laughs> yeah. gone through the land and under oceans now just to speak to you. And it would have sounded distant as well, didn't it, when you spoke to someone overseas? Oh, and there was a huge delay. It was almost yeah. like a two-second delay when you spoke, so it was really frustrating. But then it meant when he was home, it was all the more exciting and we'd have daddy dinners where he'd cook for us and... You know, we'd sit down in the afternoon and watch children's television. We'd watch Bugs Bunny cartoons together. So it was this really happy childhood in a part of Sydney called the, the Sutherland Shire. Yeah. So it wasn't even South Sydney, Rabbitohs territory. Tell me a bit more about then the cuddly toy, right? What did it look like? It, it's as, it would be as big as this 600ml water bottle. Thank um, you for being so precise. We're not just saying water bottle. You can tell you're a pro. <laughs> yeah. 600 milliliters. I'm trying to paint a picture of people's minds. <laughs> I don't want anyone listening to this and thinking it's a litre. You know, it's 600 mils. <laughs> a standard way you compare, you compare anything is whether you go 600 or whether you go 1,000. So, yeah, it's, it's what, what's that? About eight inches, nine inches high. Uh, fluffy white head it's your basic green arms yeah green arms red legs or vice versa um it just looks like a toy from the 70s yeah it looks like a toy from 1970 yeah, right. those older toys i've still got my cuddly uh toy that i had when i was a kid from the 70s i was born mm. in 73 it seems something a bit basic and innocent yes do you know what it is i think there's no brand name on it yeah that's it you yeah. couldn't i couldn't tell you who no. made that toy yeah so when my, when my first daughter was born, um, I found this really lovely handcrafted rabbit. Uh, and so I made sure she had that when she was born. I love that you're still carrying that tradition on. That's well, then, really lovely about that. Then when my second daughter was born, as is the way with second daughters. Oh, no. You're like, oh, man, I've got to get, I forgot to get the rabbit. But then part of me went, well, hang on. What's going to happen to my rabbit? The one that my dad gave me, I've got to hand that down eventually. So that's gone on to my second daughter. Oh, wow. So she's got the original rabbit and my yeah. first daughter has got her own rabbit. And, you know, I've instilled in them the kind of the love of the South Sydney Rabbitohs as well, which is hard when you live in Melbourne. You say instilled, uh, a therapist <laughs> would say brainwashed. <laughs> Waterboarded, I think is the word you're looking for. <laughs> That's why you compared it to 600 millilitres of water now. I get the water <laughs> <That's> connection. Exactly. <laughs> but, of course, that rugby league thing, you know, I played rugby league when I was a mm. kid. That was, my, that was the sport I really wanted to play. And right. I played touch football at primary school. I played rugby league, full contact, um, at Janali Boys High School, B team. I wasn't good enough for the A team. Yeah. Got to about 13 or 14. It was pretty obvious that having a prosthetic leg wasn't going to, you know, be the best for me playing rugby league. Yeah. And so not only does that rabbit represent my family, it kind of represents this 
what I've I've rediscovered rugby league recently because 2017 I found out that there are five teams in Sydney that play disability rugby league. And I contacted them and said, you know, can I help? Can I support? Can I possibly even play? And they went, well, no, because you live in London. But the Warrington Wolves want to start up England's first disability rugby league team. Maybe you should get in contact with them. And it's opened this whole new chapter in my life. When I live in London, I go to Warrington, which is like a two-hour train ride. Yeah, I mean, people, wherever you listen to this, you need to appreciate about Adam doing this. And this, there was a great documentary that you made about it. And I remember speaking to you quite oh, yes, early yeah, yeah. on it, years ago about it. And I thought you were doing it just for a bit or something for a TV thing, but you weren't. It was coming from a genuine th- place. And it was like a four-hour round trip just to go and do the training session. Yeah. So every Tuesday I would hop on maybe a 3.30 train out of Euston Station, gets into Warrington at quarter past five. I wander to the stadium, which is just, I walk into the reception of a rugby league stadium and they're like, oh, hey, Adam, yeah, just go upstairs. <laughs> walk up to the foundations, which is the charity arm of the Warrington Yes. Yeah. And they're amazing. They have like you know, a dementia-friendly cafe. They have dance classes for the elderly. They had soccer, football for disability, but they never had rugby league. And then we'll head over to the University of Chester Padgate campus. We train indoors for about an hour and a half, two hours, and proper training, like proper physical boot camp vomit because it was such hard work. A few other teams formed and we ended up with the best record over there. We came out to Australia. We played the South Sydney Rabbitohs. So it was up against... That must have meant so much to you. It, well, I had this really weird moment, though, because we'd organised this as the club challenge because we we ended up having the best record in the UK. The Rabbitohs won their grand final here. So we went, right, well, this is to see who's world champions. And I happened to be having dinner with Russell Crowe in yeah. London, who owns the South Sydney mm. Rabbitohs. And I said all this to him and I went, I don't know who to play for. Like, it's my boyhood club. Yeah. And, you know, my dad has since passed away, but I wanted to honour his memory Absolutely. and everything. And and I thought he was going to go, well, you've got to play for the Rabbitohs, mate. What's wrong with you? And he paused and he went, you've got to earn that jersey. Oh, my well, this is like something out of a movie. It this was. It really was. And he went, <laughs> you, can't, you can't just turn up, put on the red and green, and you're suddenly a Rabbitoh. You've got to train with them. You've got to sweat with them. You've got to lose blood with them. You can't just turn up out of the blue and play for them. And I went, I know this is exactly my point. What should I do? And he went, I don't know. Let me think about it. And about a month later, I got a text from him saying, I've got it. I'll sponsor your jersey. So you can play for the wolves, but you can still have the rabbit on your chest. What a great guy. Uh, like, that the is... fact he went away and thought yep. about your dilemma. Yeah, it was incredible. What so a I good man. I love that story. Ended up playing. We played on ANZ Stadium in Sydney. Um, Did you the, have the little rabbit with you or something in the dressing room? No, because that would have been weird. That would have been weird to have a re- South Sydney yeah, rabbit actually, yeah, when I'm about right. to play against them. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest bit was running onto the pitch... And, you know, the ground announcer went, here's the Warrington Wolves, and they played Hungry Like the Wolf. Yeah, of course you do. And then the South Sydney team came out and they played the club anthem. Glory, glory to South Sydney. And I kind of went, oh, God, I didn't expect that. I had to block it out. I literally had to walk up to one corner of the pitch and sing something else in my head to get the South Sydney club song out of my head because I knew it would affect me. Wow. So we played them, we won, we became world champions, and then three days later we had a friendly game at Redfern Oval, which is their home ground. And I played the second, the first half of the Rabbitohs. Awesome! And it just turned out that it was Father's Day. No way! Didn't really, didn't plan it that way. It oh, turned out that it was so... Father's Day. Um, my dad wasn't there. My mum was there. But it was just this really lovely. But did you moment. feel your dad there when you? Played? Oh, absolutely! Yeah. yeah. 
And so the rabbit represents, you know, my dad and my family. Isn't it amazing? That That tiny little rabbit has so much meaning. That's what I like about this idea is these objects in our lives that we don't really think about that much. But when you go back and think about them, it's got, look look, at all that's come out of that, what it means to you. You're exactly right. When you pick an object, if you pick the right object that means a lot to you, it means a lot to you because it's got so much, so many stories attached to it. This rugby league journey that I've been on, one of the biggest things to come out of it for me was... uh, realizing that I don't have to be a loser because as a comedian, the funniest thing is to lose, to Mm. get things wrong. And I assumed that was my modus operandi. That's what I'm good at, stuffing things up, making a fool of myself and getting a laugh out of it. And there have been moments playing rugby league where I've had to try and actively fight that and think, well, what if I stuff it up? What What if I do something wrong? What if I let the team down? And you have to kind of overcome your little negative inner thoughts. And this whole journey for me of, I don't think I'm a loser after all. Isn't that amazing? A sort of rediscovering a different part of yourself. At the age of 49. Yeah. So it's been this incredible journey of of discovering that, uh, of self-confidence. And I know it has for everybody else because it's a team full of people with disabilities. With their own stories and their own things going on. Everyone feels like there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Whether it's cerebral palsy or an arm yeah. missing or a, an accident or the way you were born, we've all got that kind of inbuilt, mm. there's something wrong with me. And to be winners and competitors uh, is is a huge way of overcoming, you know, what therapy could have taken years to overcome. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? You're still getting the benefit from that little cuddly toy Yeah, 49 <clears throat> odd years ago. There's something really sweet about that. And that's And I think I feel... I feel him with me yeah. all the time when mm. I'm playing. Uh, I have moments where I, I kind of, I almost, you know, in a quiet moment I think, do you know what, I might just tell my dad what I've been up to since he died. And then I'll stop and go, no, he knows. Oh, he knows. Wow. He's watching. He knows. I don't need to tell yeah. him. He's across it all. Yeah. He's there as I'm doing it. So, yeah, it, it, that thing of, um, you know, when someone dies, they do live on. Mm. And in in a little rabbit or in me when I'm on the field not dropping the ball at the wrong moment or whatever else. Yeah. It's um yeah, so that for me it's that that rabbit represents family and how strong mm. my family are in my life. I'm Christian O'Connell and this is the stuff of legends. Today with Adam Hills. So far, we've learned how one little rabbit inspired his rugby league career. So, what's his next item? Next item. It's a signed artist's contract from 1972. Uh, It's framed uh, and it is signed by Groucho Marx from the Marx Brothers. And I bought it at an auction in Adelaide. I was so desperate to buy this. So, I, I, I saved up money. I was 23, 24. I was on radio in Adelaide. And I'd set myself a limit for this auction item. What, what's the highest I would pay for this? And I was mad. I went, 10 grand. That's the highest I will go for this, is 10 grand. That's my upper limit. Right. Never been to an auction before. So I'm sitting there and all the other items have come up. And they're right now, it is a signed artist contract, 1972, Groucho Marx from the Marx Brothers. Uh, I'm going to start at $10,000. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? In for pound, in for penny. And the guy looked at me, the auctioneer looked at me, and I nodded. And I reckon he, the only thing I can think is he just thought, you idiot. (laughs) And he ignored me. And he looked around and he went, 
okay, do I hear $5,000? And I thought, hang on, he just, I'm sure he saw me go yes for 10,000. And he's now saying no one's got, so I went, right, I'm going to sit this out. I'm going to sit this out. And he went, okay, let's start lower. Do I hear, do I hear, and he went down to like $500. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. That guy just saved me. What a nice guy. And then I think I got in a bit of a bidding war and I got it for $2,500. Wow. So that guy saved me seven and a half. Yeah, I don't know. He must have just looked at me and thought, you have no idea how to do this auctioning thing. <laughs> don't go in with the first bid, you idiot. I want a million dollars for this Snickers bar. I want money. <laughs> and so this Groucho signed contract, is it, is it the entire contract? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. I've it's, seen that online. Oh, right, yes. Yep. So it's the full contract. Yeah. Um, one side is a photocopy because yes. it's, it's it's like it's printed the front and back. Yeah. But the back is the one that's signed with his handwriting at yeah. the age of 72. It's very frail handwriting. Um, and, you know, with his address on it, which I've then checked and, you know, that was where he lived at the time. So I've got this remarkable piece of comedy history. Um, and I think it was, I think before then, well before then, I remember being at on a family holiday because my dad worked for Qantas. We got free family holidays. Great park. Part of that trip, we went to Universal Studios. And a lot of people dressed as Groucho Marx that particular day. And I asked someone why. And they said, wow, it's Groucho's 99th birthday. Would have been his 99th birthday today. Yeah. Went, oh, right. I said, oh, I'm a huge fan of the Marx Brothers. In fact, my parents probably said that because I was too shy. Oh, he loves the Marx Brothers. And they went, oh, well, we're actually doing a Groucho sound-alike competition today. And we don't have enough people to enter. <laughs> Do you want to get up on stage and say one line as Groucho Marx and as a prize we'll give your family like a free day in Universal Studios? Um, yeah, okay. I'm in like a feeler tracksuit and a pair of jeans. <laughs> there were three competitors. The other two were dressed as Groucho Marx. <laughs> There's some Aussie kid. <laughs> some Aussie kid puts on a Groucho glasses and knows a mistake. <laughs> And the line was, uh, oh, uh, one morning I shot an elephant in my pyjamas. How he got in my pyjamas, I'll never know. That was the line. That's actually a pretty good impression, but was it that good at 19? It, actually, it, was, it wasn't too bad at 19. That's actually was pretty good. It's better much, than I thought. And I think they were expecting, you know, this is in the days of just after Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. So I think they thought it was going to be, hey, one day I saw a crocodile in my gym jams. <laughs> <laughs> So that's not an elephant. This is an elephant. <laughs> so I did it. And they said, hey, congratulations, your family went a day in the park. But one of the judges was Groucho Marx's son, who was a screenwriter and also a champion tennis player. And well, then, hang on a minute. This is all too much. So you're past as a former tennis coach. Yeah. And now you're a fan of Groucho Marx. You're in front of his son, who also happens to be a tennis coach. Uh, yes. Yeah, and was like a championship tennis player who played professionally. Wow. So my mum has a photo and I've... I said, get a photo, get a photo. So I'm chatting to Groucho Marx's son about tennis and my mum took a photo. Um, but it's one of those ones where I'm mid-conversation oh, and no. I've got this really weird face. <laughs> and it's not, you know, now you'd go, oh, that didn't work out. Take another photo on yep. your phone. Take five, yep. get get a burst. The only That's photo it. of me with Groucho Marx's I can't even, you'll have to describe this face. I'm basically going, 
you look like having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> Always part of your Groucho impression. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Wow. That's but it. That's your only lasting memory of it. Only photo of me with Groucho Marx's son. I'm pulling a ridiculous face. So where is the contract well, now? There's an extra story added to it. So I bought it in Adelaide and it was on my wall in Adelaide. And then I had it in storage in Adelaide for ages. And then I was going back doing the Adelaide Fringe one year. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a couple of things back to Sydney, back to my parents' place, and the frame will be one of those. And Ross Noble, I just got to know yep. Ross Noble, the English comedian. And Ross came out to me one night and he went, what are you doing after this? And I said, oh, I'm going back to Sydney, actually. And he went, how are you getting to Sydney? And I said, well, I'm driving. And he went, can I come with you? And I went, what? And he said, I've got a flight to Melbourne, but I've just been booked on a TV show in Sydney. And he went, I couldn't be asked booking a flight can I come with you and I went yeah but it's like it's a two day drive yeah. we're going to have to stop somewhere overnight and he went is it a road trip <laughs> I went yeah and he went how good's your car and I said well no, it'll get us there and he went no no is it old enough that we could chainsaw off the top and drive it like we're in a feminine hygiene ad <laughs> um, and I said to Ross no I'm not chainsawing the top of my car and he went oh and then he went can we wear cowboy hats and listen to Chris Christopherson tapes? <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> so we turned up two days later with two cowboy hats <laughs> and a country and western cassette because he couldn't find Chris Christopherson specifically. <laughs> and we loaded up this car with his stuff and my stuff and this Groucho Marx frame. And we drove, we decided we were going to stop at all the big things. I had to explain how there are these big, you know, tourist attractions across Australia. Yeah. Our favourite to this day, we were talking about it recently, um, Narandra. And what I love about Narandra is, you know, you drive into town and, hey, home of the big prawn and home of the big, you know, pineapple or whatever. You drive into Narandra and there was a sign, massive sign, welcome to Narandra, home of the world's second largest playable guitar. <laughs> Which in itself is funny. 100 metres down the road, there's an old dilapidated sign that's half falling off and faded that says, Welcome to Narandra, home of the world's largest playable guitar. <laughs> Only the, in Australia. That's amazing. The saddest and funniest no, thing no, I've ever amazing. seen in my Nothing life. Nothing but brilliant. <laughs> so, but this whole trip, that contract's been with me. Yeah. You know, through everything, and that is that is my most prized, certainly my most prized comedy. Yeah, uh, little little artifact. What a cool thing to have! It's amazing. Um, but yeah, to have that little piece of of yeah. history um, as as a comedy fan and as a Marx Brothers fan, I don't think I'll get any better than that. Yeah. There's no way. So the third item was the trickiest one because I I really was thinking hard about. If everything, all of my possessions were destroyed, what what are the possessions? So I've got the rabbit, that's my family connection, and then the comedy connection is is the contract. And the object that I'd really want to keep is a is a silk scarf that was given to me by the Dalai Lama. So I was asked maybe ten years ago to go to Perth and host a concert for His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And I think I think he was on a speaking tour of Australia. And I think actually what happened was they booked the venue in the morning for the speech. They had it for the afternoon anyway. <laughs> they thought, oh, we might as well make some money out of it. <laughs> Let's put on a concert for His Holiness. Um, and one of the performers was Luca Bloom, yeah. the Irish performer, who 
who has done a lot of stuff with the Dalai Lama. So there was a connection there. But the rest of it was like, there was this weird band. I think they were called like the Nobel All-Stars. Wow. And they, there was one person dressed as Albert Einstein and one person dressed as Mother Teresa and one person dressed as the Dalai it's, Lama. It's quite a super group, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a moment where His Holiness met the guy dressed as His Holiness. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it was like from memory, Tim Rogers, The Baby Animals, right. Tex Perkins, um, so, and it was really just to get a lot of young people along to yeah. watch the bands. But before it all kicked off, we we told we would have a private audience with His Holiness. So we were backstage in the dressing room, all of us just kind of sitting around. And then the Dalai Lama is brought in and sat down and said a few words and then said, are there any questions? Everyone was like, I didn't know there were questions. All I genuinely wanted to go was, how are you? Yeah. Um, and there were a few awkward moments, but there was one thing that he said that really stood out. He's, he's, in his lovely way of speaking, kind of said, um, he said, I, I do not sing. I do not know music. He said, but I do know. You have a microphone. You should use it to say something. And what you can say is nonviolence, not peace. And, and then this is the joke that he made. Countries go to war for peace. How can you fight for peace? <laughs> Nonviolence. You cannot fight for nonviolence. And then gave this beautiful speech. So then the concert started, and I think the Nobel All Stars played first, and then Luca Bloom played a beautiful song. I think I was just standing backstage, and I knew that my job was to introduce His Holiness onto the stage. And then his, you know, his minder came up and said, um, "Would you walk out on stage with him, please?" And I went, oh, of, "Of course I will. Yes, of course." And His Holiness came up, and I shook his hand and said, it's a "Pleasure to meet you." And how are you? I managed to ask, "How are you?" And he said, "I'm fine." And he had a bit of a sniffle, and uh, then he's. Handler said, okay, it's time to go. And he held my hand. He just held my hand and we just walked out on stage together, the Dalai Lama and I holding hands. I walked him to his seat and he sat down and I said, good evening, everyone. And I got to make a joke to him. And the joke was this. So earlier that week, Carl Stefanovic had interviewed him. Yep. And there'd been a big thing because Carl had tried to tell him a joke. And the joke was the Dalai Lama goes into a pizza shop and orders a pizza and says, can you make me one with everything? Not a bad joke. No, it's a good joke. If, <laughs> this is the important point, if you know what a pizza shop is <laughs> or pizza toppings or are across the dual meanings of the phrase make me one with everything and make me one with everything. <laughs> well, he's saying Dalai doesn't go to, you know, pizza. Or... Apparently, apparently a super supreme is not in his vocab. Everyone was talking about it at the time because, the, the, you know, the, Carl, Carl was like, the Dalai Lama goes to a pizza shop and then his translator goes, it's a pizza shop. And he goes, it is a pizza shop. And he was like, and he went, it is possible, continue. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells the joke, says, make me one with everything. And there's this massive pause when the, and the translator Horrible. goes, mm. no. <laughs> and it just didn't get it. Like, why would you? Yeah. It's, it's not even your second. It's probably your third or fourth language. So anyway, Dalai Lama comes out. His Holiness sits down. I open the show. Good evening, blah, blah, blah. This is what we're here for. And I said, um, your Holiness, uh, I am the only person on the bill who is not a musician. I am a comedian. Uh, but I promise I will not try to tell you a joke. And there was a pause and I went, oh, God, it hasn't worked. And his translator let down and went, and then his holiness went, ah, 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 
Oh, it's a James oh, Bond buddy now. Oh, my God. It was like the Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> One bad joke. Uh, uh, uh. He, and I went, oh, my God. I've just made the Dalai Lama laugh in the most Buddhist way possible <laughs> by doing nothing. <laughs> I, did, I didn't even tell him a joke and I made him laugh about the joke that I'm not telling him. I mean, the concert was beautiful. He only stayed for a couple of songs. He stayed for Luca Bloom and then presented silk scarves to everyone that was on stage. And I'm way over the other side of the stage knowing what my job is. And his handler looked over at me and nodded and I went, oh, okay, must be coming to the end. And I nodded back and he went and shook his head and went, nodded and then kind of motioned me to come over. And I went, yeah, when it's done, I'll come over. And he went, mm. and he's doing with the hand gesture, would you get over here, you crazy kid? And so I, I came over to him thinking, oh, okay, I'm, I, was, I was told the Dalai Lama would leave the stage when he was ready and then I would pick up. So I was coming over to kind of have the discussion and then he put his hand up to stop. And then the Dalai Lama picked up a silk scarf and then he motioned me f- for me to come forward. And I oh, my God, I'm getting a scarf. I'm being given a blessing and a scarf from His Holiness. That's incredible. Oh, it was really, really lovely. I love the idea of spirituality and there is something about, and I've spoken to other people about this, when you're in the presence of the Dalai Lama, you feel that for a few days afterwards. I don't know what it is. You know, the cynic in me goes, well, I'm just projecting because I know it's, he. you know, he's just a simple person. He would say that. I'm just a Buddhist monk. But you kind of feel... Energetically. Yeah, there's yeah. something about him. So that scarf, as well as being a prized possession, is also an important part of my life, is that that spiritual side and that that energy side. When you work with energy and meditation and whatever it is, whether it's, you know, Tai Chi yeah. or whatever it is that puts you in the kind of flow of the universe. Well, Rugby League would have done that for you as well. Look what that transformed into. Th- do you know what? I mean, I kind of feel like this whole journey with Rugby League from 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 me helping this team and then mm. going, let's film it for a documentary. I mean, that could have been anything. We could have been the worst team in Britain. Yeah. We, we could have just been middle of the road. Yeah. The way the whole story came together where the Rabbitohs, my boyhood team, became the best team in Australia. We became the best team in the UK. I got knocked out at one point. It provided a bit of drama. We yeah, came to Australia. Right. We became world champions. We played on Father's Day. All of that. You know, I genuinely believe that... If you're if you're open to the universe, mm. then you can kind of connect. You know, Taoism will often talk about it like being a river. Yeah, you, you can't control it, mm. but if you just let yourself go and let it carry you, you'll avoid the rocks. It'll take you where you need to be. Mm. And I think, in a comedy sense, and especially when you're ad libbing, you know, you just get a sense from the audience. You get a sense from looking at people who's going to be good value. I remember doing a show where there are a bunch of, and this is a really formative you know, comedy point for me. There are a bunch of butchers in the front row. And now I grew up in... What a gift. And I remember this this table of butchers and I was comparing the show and I just, I put them down. I did five minutes of jokes putting them down for being butchers. Brought on the first act and they heckled him until he had to leave the stage. And I remember sitting backstage going, wow, where did that negative energy come from? I thought, oh, me. Like in in that whole Reiki sense, I went, I just went out and put negative energy. I just told them their jobs were, were worthless of course they're going to tear apart the next person on stage. What are you thinking? So I went back out on stage and then virtually apologised but in a funny way and tried to think of, okay, what would be what would they hate about their job with people like me? And I, went, and I actually said to him, you must hate people like me. You slave all day over the perfect cut of meat. You try and trim the fat. You get the right and you know exactly how it should be cooked and then you sell it to some idiot like me who you know is going to burn it on a barbecue <laughs> until it's black. And they, they laughed and they were like, yes, that is it. Oh, man, there is no need 
to be negative. I even rewrote one of my jokes at the time, which was the joke was, and I've done it plenty of times, but um, I used to say, look, I hate American people because they name their children after personality traits they hope they're going to grow up with. <laughs> oh, Faith, have you seen Hope? Yeah, she's over there with honor. They're waiting for charity. And then I'd go on and say, you know, can you imagine an Aussie bloke naming his kids the way he hopes they're going to grow up? Uh, this is my son opening batsman. That's my other son drinks beer, <laughs> etc. And it, about this time, I kind of went, why am, why am I saying I hate Americans? That's, I'm just saying that because that's what you say to set up a joke. There's absolutely no reason for me to say I hate Americans. And I rewrote the joke and went, I love Americans because they know their children after personality. Yeah. It was just comedy at the time was let's take everybody down. Yeah. You know, sure, you can go on stage and take down whoever needs taking down. Yeah. You don't need to say I hate Americans or you butchers or idiots or whatever just because that's what people do. You can lift people up with comedy. So that's, you know, that's that scarf. <laughs> weirdly, you know, that idea of if you've got a microphone, use it to say something. You know, if you can be positive, be positive. Thank you very much to today's legend, Adam Hills. He has something that makes us all a bit larger in ourselves. I mean that. Some people light you up, and that is what Adam Hills does. What I loved was the way that each of his items came back to those things that truly matter to him. His family, rugby, comedy. I think rugby is above comedy, actually, even though he's a professional comedian. Spirituality and what's most important. And he got to bring a lot of that together by telling the Dalai Lama a joke. Not many of us can say that. Make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming legends. Follow the show for free on iHeartRadio or whatever podcast app you're listening to us on right now. I'm Christian O'Connell. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is The Stuff of Legends. Legends.